What's up, y'all? Welcome to class. This is Diseducation. My name is Mignon. I'm a Black non-binary teacher. And I'm a Vietnamese-American teacher named Quinn. Together, we are looking at what it's really like inside U.S. classrooms and schools through our eyes as teachers of color. In other words, what's happening behind closed classroom doors? Because the reality is that U.S. education is burning, and students and teachers of color are the ones on fire. This is Diseducation. The last few episodes, we've been tracing how as teachers of color, collaboration can be a space of harm. Today, we want to expand the scope a little bit. The teacher's lounge is not just a space to work, eat, take a break, shoot the shit with your coworkers. It also acts as a symbol for who's in and who is out, who is welcome and who is not. If you're thinking to yourself, damn, that sounds so high school, you are not wrong. During our last few episodes, we've talked about just a few of the hard parts of our experience as teachers of color, how we've been name-called, insults we've had to shoulder, being shouted at by other teachers in professional settings, being humiliated in front of staff and in front of students. We've talked about getting the silent treatment in cold shoulder and how people gossiped and spread rumors and excluded us. What all of this shows is that we were being bullied. I mean, at some point, Mignon, you and I were processing what was happening to us. And I think I made the connection at some point that everything we were going through was basically bullying. Mm -hmm. Because you know when districts outsource professional development on how to prevent bullying with kids, when they bring in, you know, those like theater troops and those other kind of organizations. And we literally had one of those trainings. Yes. Yeah, and they like, you know, they have students volunteer and showcase, right? This is what bullying is. This is what you should do when bullying happens. It dawned on me that everything we were experiencing was literally what these outsourced organizations were showcasing to the school. Mm. Everything that was happening to us was really social Bullying, sometimes referred to as relational bullying or relational aggression. You know, I remember uh, when you had this epiphany, this realization, Quinn, because you sent me uh, about 15,000 text messages uh, and six or seven article links at 2 a.m. <laughs> it was it was one of those eureka moments, all right? It was, it was. But I think some things can get so normalized when you're in a place or in a culture. Things can be cultivated to make you doubt your own reality. And I honestly felt a little gaslit. I was trying to understand everything that was happening to us, and I felt like I needed some language to finally describe what was going on. And there's a lot we could say about relational aggression, but for teachers of color, and I think true for our experience, there are really three main pieces that we can tease out. The first is that kind of freezing out by ignoring, excluding, and isolation through triangulation. The second is damaging reputation through rumors, gossip, and public humiliation. And the third is a kind of excessive supervision and monitoring, but with malicious intent. Mm -hmm. And I think something that's important to clarify is that we know that these three things are not the only components of relational aggression or relational bullying, Mm -hmm. but they are three that we saw happen to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we realized when we analyzed uh, what we experienced and connected the dots is that several of these bullying strategies that we just named were all being wielded at the same time. So let's actually start with the last one, Quinn, that kind of excessive supervision and monitoring with man- malicious intent. Um, and you just mentioned how this is part of relational aggression and that it can be wielded Uh, alongside some of the others. But in practice, 
This kind of monitoring that we're noticing can lead to exclusion of teachers of color in really damaging ways. Um, In our experience, near the end of the Capital P project, a white teacher from our team on the Capital P project was asking other coworkers for access to our teaching materials, yours and mine. She wasn't asking for docs from the, from this shared project because she already had access to all of that. We shared that freely. But what she was asking for was our English curriculum for our other classes. Uh-huh. She was not an English That's teacher. That's right. <laughs> she was not teaching those classes or that material. But the reason that she gave to this other person, right, who she knew had access because we often shared, was that she was, quote, investigating the rigor of our classes. Sure she was. What did you think when you heard this? What did I think? Honestly, I just asked myself, what could possibly be the reason for why she's doing this? Frankly, not many. I can think of only one. Mm -hmm. And I did think, I did ask myself, what is she trying to find? Why is she trying to find this? Who does she want to show when she finds what she thinks will be the smoking gun? But joke's on her, uh, because I guess nothing piqued her interest. She must have been disappointed when she got in the docks, because our shit is tight. (laughs) Yeah, damn right it is. Um, But I think something that's important to note is, you know, as funny as the story is, and as, you know, as as much as we joke about it, there's something really serious going on here. There's monitoring that she's doing. I think we have to ask ourselves, how is monitoring really a form of bullying? I mean, it's so sinister. I think the link is because... This kind of excessive monitoring with malicious intent is used to cause reputational harm. Mm -hmm. If I'm actively searching for something wrong in your curriculum, that's that malicious intent. I obviously have a narrative about you that I'm trying to support. Honestly, you know what this makes me think of? Mm, Tell me. When we taught ninth grade, it took so much work to get the ninth graders to stop cherry picking evidence to support their claims, right? They'd write a thesis first and then go find the evidence uh, instead of finding evidence and then developing claims based on that. Mm. And that may feel like a little bit of a tangent, but I really feel like that's what she was doing. And I think it's important too to note, like, right, this is a teacher who's teaching the project with a capital P. And what this means is if she's teaching students the way she operates, what she's teaching them isn't research, it's manipulation. Mm Mm-hmm. We're on a tangent here, but I think it's interesting. But in terms of how monitoring is relational bullying, it is that malicious intent and reputational harm. Um, Another, right, form of relational bullying is gossiping, which is often accompanied by exclusion. Um, And I think it's important that we ask ourselves, what happens when all of this gossip tentacles and reaches out to even our direct supervisor, the school principal? Oh, I can answer that. Uh, So after all of these things that had been happening were escalating and escalating, and this relational bullying was getting more and more intense... Uh, I went down to the book room to ask about the process for returning some books. uh, And the principal happened to be standing in the hallway outside the book room. And I had another question for the principal um, just on something completely different that would have been quick. I think it was about black grad. I wanted to just ask him a quick question. And so I said, hey, then his name. uh, 
and no response. And I said it again, and I was standing as far from him as I am sitting from you now. So, <laughs> so like arms foot. reach. <laughs> yeah. And he turned his body away from me and angled his head away from me. And it was the most absurd thing. And I was saying to myself, is this man literally ignoring me in the hallway? I could see you. I can. I am watching you hear me. <laughs> what is happening right now? <laughs> I think I was actually standing a couple feet away because I saw this happening. Mm-hmm. It was really awkward. Uh, but it was also alarming that my supervisor was no longer acknowledging my literal presence in front of him. Mm-hmm. About something very, I think, basic, which is returning. You had a question about books. Well, a question about books for the book room, a question about black graduation, which I was putting on for the principal. Normal stuff. Mm-hmm. Which begs the question, if the principal of the school is behaving in this way, is it all that surprising that teachers are engaging in relational bullying? This goes back to episode two, when we discussed white culture, white schools. It's hierarchical. Absolutely. Another example of gossip leading to exclusion, what happens when the teachers' union are the very ones targeting teachers of color? Ooh, Mignon, spicy. (laughs) Tell me more. But seriously, if we think about who is supposed to protect teachers, when all else fails, that's supposed to be the union. So what happens to teachers of color when people engaging in overt bullying and gossiping are in the union? What happens when people engaging in overt bullying and gossiping exploit relationships with union leadership to spread lies? We literally paid dues. We were members of the union, but we were also hearing from multiple people who would walk into the teacher's lounge, remember teacher's lounge as that space of harm, and heard union leadership not just talking shit about us, but outright lying about us. It wasn't just alarming. It led to us being excluded from the very support and protection we should have gotten from our union. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important here to reiterate uh, that what's happening is extremely unethical. When we are bullied in the workforce, we as teachers are supposed to be protected by our administration. But we've just talked, right, about how our department head, how our principal uh, haven't exactly uh, been able to do so for the both of us or have refused to do so or even, um, right, not acknowledge you, Mignon. And so when they fail to do their job, that's when the union comes in. The union is supposed to step in to advocate for our workers' rights. But the very people who are supposed to be protecting us, supposed to hold our supervisors accountable, are the very ones doing the bullying. The formal protective structures that are supposed to be in place are actually just smoke and mirrors when teachers of color are the ones in need of support. Color being the key word here. Let's bring it back here to the point we're trying to make. Gossip leads to exclusion. And all of this is really just a form of relational aggression. This is bullying, which is really hypocritical when you think that these are also the people responsible for teaching and guiding students, responsible for ensuring students are not being bullies or being bullied. Some of you might be asking right now in your minds, or maybe out loud, shouldn't we as teachers, as people of color, be able to handle it, right? Some of you might be thinking, hey, that's just part and parcel of being a person of color in the workplace. What's the big deal about everything you're experiencing? I think our response is, number one, you deserve better too. Mm -hmm. 
we shouldn't just accept the norm because professionals of color in any industry do not deserve to be disrespected like this. It creates real psychological harm and you deserve better too. And number two, which is a bit different, is that if what we're describing wasn't happening in a school and that these actions weren't affecting students as well, I think I could have let more of it roll off my back. I think it's probably true for you too, Quinn. Mm -hmm. You know, we would have navigated around these things in the workplace with less stress and more focus on preserving ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's the nature of the job. But as teachers of color, that's it. We are also trying to preserve students of color. When I think about the impacts that all this gossip and exclusion and relational aggression can lead to, I mean, there are obvious things like career, money, reputational harm. True. But some of the harm is disguised because many people see teaching as standing in a room in front of students. Oftentimes, this is a natural consequence of being students ourselves. Our image and concept of what a teacher is and does is based on what we saw as students, what we saw being in the classroom with the teacher. But I would argue that most of the work we as teachers do happens behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. It is the curriculum building, the prepping, the teamwork, and collaboration with other teachers and community members to support students. That's really the bulk of the work that we do. And I think if you're an educator listening in, you get it. What I'm describing here highlights that bullying impacts not just the inability to collaborate. It's actually about not being able to work with others, with the school community, parents, community members, etc. We were talking about how so much work is outside of the classroom, right? On committees, on all of these organizations. We are part of basically local politics um, and how shaping that helps support students. To be an effective teacher, we have to be part of that in some way or form. So when this gossip and these rumors are spread to school board members, to parent groups, now not only are you unable to collaborate with other teachers to create curriculum, or more accurately, they don't want to collaborate with you, now you can't participate fully in the things that are going to impact students. Create things around school culture, for example, and policy or other things that shape the classroom and their impact the, the children that you care so much about. Feeling iced out from that before I even had a chance to get to know anyone and even get the chance to say, hi, this is my name. That was really sad to me, right? Why stay in a community that is not going to have me, that won't even let me introduce myself? For me, that was the biggest harm out of all of this. That because other staff members had these preconceived notions about me, this community refused to collaborate with me. I want to just pull out something that you said there, Quinn. You're talking about being able to participate in the many things in and outside of the classroom that impact your students. That's what it's always been about, the students. And when we were facing this retaliation and this relational aggression, it meant that I was being prevented from being the most effective teacher I could be, and students were the ones who were shortchanged. Mm -hmm. So let's actually make this a little bit more tangible. 
let's say there's a student in my English class and and they've got a you know full roster of classes. They're in another STEM class. When relational aggression between coworkers is not present, I could go to that teacher and say, hey, I'm noticing a change in behavior with this student. I'm checking in uh, to see if he's having uh, just that resistance to my class or if this is kind of across the board. Because if it's just my class, then, hey, I can deal with that, uh, you know, in my class. Also, if it is just my class, hey, are there any strategies you're using in yours that are working so I can try them out? Right. It doesn't matter. Let's add in here. It does not matter how long someone has been in the classroom. We can all learn from one another this way because we all have different styles and we employ different support techniques. So when relational bullying and aggression is present, this closes off our ability to share information about support that's working for individual students. But let's also look at it a different way. Let's say the behavior change that I'm noticing in English is also happening in this STEM class. If relational bullying has been so intense and widespread that the teachers out of school are excluding you, that teachers you've not yet worked with or interacted with are shunning you, then the fact that a student is struggling across the board in multiple classes may go unnoticed, which means that all kinds of not just academic, but potentially safety issues could be going unidentified. Mm-hmm. Now, I think everything you're saying here, Mignon, is, is so apt. This hypothetical or unhypothetical story (laughs) (laughs) that you're saying here um, is in many ways showcasing how when other teachers retaliate, when they bully us, right, gossip and exclude us out of the classroom as teachers of color, it's ultimately affecting students. And it is causing literally what so many people talk about, so many people fear is happening in education. It is causing students, particularly historically marginalized students, to fall through the cracks. I mean, and it doesn't just happen between teachers. We can think about counselors, too. You know, I'm thinking about how this relational aggression creates walls between us as teachers of color and the people on campus we need to be in relationship with to support students like counselors. You know, and I think we'll, we've said it enough, so I'll be brief, but counselors and teachers need open lines of communication to make sure students get what they need. So what happens when counselors are, are overhearing lies or sharing lies about teachers of color, what happens to that communication and trust? Another way that relational bullying affects a relationship with school staff is that they refuse to collaborate with us, which means we lose out on professional learning communities, um, oftentimes shortened to PLCs in the education community, where we are all learning with and from one another. I don't think white teachers realize that they lose out too. Mm. They lose out on the opportunities to learn from teacher of color colleagues, which is especially important given the racial blinders that living in a white supremacist society creates. I feel like every time we say lack of collaboration, it loses its meaning a little bit, but the image that keeps coming to my mind is a bridge with the middle missing because we're talking about a total breakdown in these relationships. You know in those dystopic movies where the camera kind of zooms out to a wide shot of a city skyline and the bridge is kind of looming in the middle, but the center of the bridge is just gone, reduced to rubble, falling into the water? That's what I'm seeing, like literal space missing, an expanse that cannot be bridged. Lovely, lovely, lovely description. So not the (laughs) fuck what I'm seeing. I see a cage. Okay, Mignon, hear me out here. Okay. I see bars. Walk us through it. Teachers, teachers, including teachers of color, right, are being separated out. Knowledge is intentionally being kept apart and not being shared. Mm. It's giving segregation. 
True, true. To me, this lack of collaboration is what we always say, this system working as designed. I never really realized until this moment with this image stuff that we're playing around with, but oftentimes when we hear the term gatekeeping, we think of a vertical image, mm-hmm. a hierarchical position, right? A knowledge is being kept out from those who, for whatever reason, certain folks are positioning right below. Mm-hmm. But gatekeeping can happen at a peer level too. Yeah, but that's because we see our white colleagues as peers. They do not see us as peers. Oh, is that true? <laughs> they see us as their subordinates. Literally, literally less than. Literally less than. <laughs> yeah. But see, once again, that's the system by design. Working the way it's designed to. White teachers, yeah, I mean, they're losing out on learning opportunities. On an individual level, that sucks. But systemically, on a level that's about maintaining white supremacy, it's working great for them. <laughs> <laughs> We're being iced out. They get to keep themselves insulated. Status quo, maintain. Yep. This brings us right to white supremacy because of what we're arguing is that in a workplace, that gossip, that reputational harm, that bullying is really in many ways paralleling these pillars of white supremacy. So literally actual gatekeeping to maintain white supremacy. Then that means when does it tentacle or lash itself out? When it feels like it's being threatened. Mm -hmm. And in an educational workspace, When does it feel it's being threatened? When the priorities of students of color are being centered. We have seen that. There is evidence if you listen to our entire season from beginning to end. We started this episode talking about relational aggression and have tracked how it impacts so much. So Mignon, can I ask you, how do you think relational aggression upholds white supremacy? So let's look at the pillars of white supremacy that Andrea Smith published in 2016 and then Shaniqua Walker Barnes uh, expanded and revised in 2020. And this model provides four stages to white supremacy. Stage one is commodification. Should we exploit these people of color? Stage two, indoctrination. Should we assimilate them? Stage three, demonization. Should we vilify them? And finally, stage four, should we eradicate them? Let's break this down a second. Mignon, you and I have talked at length and we mutually agree that stage one, commodification, and stage two, indoctrination are a given. Every institution is going to commodify you because, frankly, we live in a capitalist white supremacist society. Yep. Mm -hmm. But they're going to probably ask it more from you if you're a person of color. Check out episodes one and two. That's That's what we talk about. Mm -hmm. Stage two is also given because they're going to test you. Are you a cultural fit? Are you going to assimilate? Are you going to indoctrinate yourself with the white supremacist principles of this institution? And some people stop there. Whether out of self-preservation, they don't ruffle feathers, or they limit the kind of ruffling they're willing to do, or they feel they can do. Meanwhile, the last two stages also really exist as a pair. We're talking demonization and extermination. When it's become clear that you can't be indoctrinated, they respond and retaliate with demonization. They vilify you. This is the stage that sets you up for extermination. Right? They know that demonization will lead to eradication, to expulsion from the institution, which then maintains white supremacy. So when indoctrination fails, 
Demonization is the only recourse to uphold white supremacy. It's the shoot, the conduit that forces you out. And relational aggression is a primary way demonization plays out. It's almost like a tool. Mm -hmm. So this is just me, but if you think about it, I'm getting COVID vibes here. What do you mean? The way that viruses evolve and mutate to be able to continue infecting. Mm. In the same way society has become designed where overt racism or overt ways of defending white supremacy is seen as right, wrong, or even is right, illegal now. There's legal structures in place to try to prevent that. What it means is that now people have to figure out ways to uphold white supremacy underground. Absolutely. And so by creating a system where teachers of color are put in situations where to save themselves, they seemingly voluntarily leave a system, right? Quote unquote, resign. Um, what it means is that these institutions are forcing the hand of teachers of color because they can't fire them themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's where relational aggression comes into play. You know, what you're describing, you know, they force the hand because they can't just get rid of teachers of color themselves. This is literally a hostile work environment, but done in a way that is wholly unprovable in a court of law. But it functions the exact same way. Mm -hmm. But just trying to put in context for our listeners to understand, like, what is, right, the conversations we're having, the, the work that we're doing, contextually, where is this in this larger in in this larger framework of analyzing what happens to professionals of color? So to bring it back. Right. Listeners, you've been on this journey with us this entire season. You know that we've really been tracing that broken teacher diversity pipeline. Um, and right, we keep going back to additionally the problem women of color in the workplace framework. Um, and what you see here is that that framework is really a zoom in of that last leg of the pipe of the first five years that a teacher of color is in the workplace. And when we zoom in on the last legs of the problem women of color in the workplace, where you're looking at this retaliation stage, what we're seeing is this model of white supremacy that we've just discussed, in particular, the last two stages, which are demonization and expulsion, extermination. And then we can zoom in even further, right? How are people being demonized and exterminated? Through relational aggression and bullying. Mm -hmm. Which can look like gossiping which can look like exclusion, and which can look like refusal to collaborate. Thank you for joining us as we explore how education is failing teachers of color. We believe education can serve all, not just the few. We envision schools as sites of possibility in education as radical care for community. If this episode sparks something for you, email us at diseducationpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us at disedofficial. Check out the poll in our bio or in the show notes. Subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Finally, thank you to Anthony Hernandez at The Grill Studio for engineering this episode. And thank you for listening.